Welcome to the vault where you can find the code to unlock your success. In this space, I invite real, inspiring and successful experts. We have eye-opening conversations about the way to reach your highest potential in life and in business. We will cover the mastery of mindset, energy, emotions, transformation, sales, marketing, thriving in business without losing your authenticity and balance. Hi, I'm Sonia Martinovic and host of The Vault, an entrepreneur, mindset mastery and online business coach with an obsession on real transformation. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs and other influencers master the mindset and build a successful and impactful business. Do you want to break free from your limitations and express your truest self in business and in life? Is growth your game and success your aim? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the vault. Let's start cracking your code. And welcome to a new episode of The Vault. And I'm so excited today because we're going to experience so much wisdom and experience from Paul Ross. He's a passionate about his mission to help entrepreneurs, business owners, sales professionals to exponentially improve their results through tapping the power of the subconscious communication. He is an author, podcaster, speaker, sales trainer, copywriter, having generated over $5 million in sales of online courses and coaching. He's a master trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, master hypnotist, and certified instructor of mindfulness meditation. Welcome, Paul. I'm so excited. Wow, that's quite a that's quite a resume, isn't it? But I get bored quickly, so I need to do a <laughs> lot of different things to stay involved with and passionate. Yeah, it is. It is always about the growth and next level, right? So, but still, we are going to experience so much and we're going to talk about subconscious communication. But first, for our audience, can you tell a little bit more about your story about Paul Ross? Yeah, I have a very unusual background. And this is something I don't put in my one sheet, my promotional thing that my team sends out to podcasters because I sort of like to spring it on them as a surprise. I... In addition to being a hypnotist and a marketer, my background in the past was I, I taught men how to pick up women. I'm a former <laughs> pickup artist instructor. Oh my gosh, that's so... And so I applied neurolinguistic programming, which is a study of how language affects subconscious communication and behavior and human interaction to that field. And I began to coach men in that. And about I've been doing that for 30 years, about 15 years ago. Men would start emailing me when email became popular with pictures of their family. They'd say, thank you. I met the woman of my dreams. Here's pictures of my kids. Oh, and by the way, I've been using your stuff in sales. My sales have increased by 300, 400%. I thought, wait a minute, dummy. I thought this to myself. Of course, that makes sense because a date is essentially a sale. You've got to do your prospecting. You've got to do your cold calling your introduction, your marketing presentation, ask your qualifying questions to find out the prospect's needs, show them the ROI, do your closing and handle objections and maybe get referrals. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I started to map it over. I mapped it over in the sales and started doing this and, and have just exploded onto the scene because Sonia, my way of looking at things is so unconventional. My way of looking at sales is completely unconventional because I'm coming from outside the field. And so I'm not trapped in the assumptions of what everyone else is teaching 
and how everyone else thinks. Yeah, that's amazing. So was there a specific like breakthrough moment besides, you know, the, the, the conversation? Yeah. Was yes. there like a breaking point? Could you tell us more about that? Yes. What I recognized early on is that you're never selling this. You're never selling your product or service. And I don't care what that may be. And even if you're, you're never selling your vision to your team, even though people say you are, you're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions. Think of yourself as a decision service technician. Now, here's the thing. Here's the understanding that flows out of that. Every decision you make is based on what state of mind you're in. For example, if you're driving on the highway, and I know in the Netherlands, they encourage people to ride bikes because I was there. There are very few cars. Yeah. I don't know if it's like Denmark. In Denmark, the tax on cars is 250, 300%. Mm. So if you buy a car for 3,000 euros, you wind up paying 9,000 euros. I don't know. Is it the same way in Amsterdam, in Holland? People just like biking. And, you know, biking is for free. Okay. There are a lot of cars here, but there, there are a lot of bikes. So let's say you're driving your car and you've had a bad argument with your spouse or loved one, and you're in an angry mood and someone drives in front of you. I don't think they do that. They do that in the United States. Oh. They do that in Amsterdam. <laughs> okay. So your decision about what you're going to do next is going to be different than if you're having a nice, calm day, meditated. Your decision about how you're going to respond to that person is different. Mm -hmm. So what it occurred to me is rather than think about what, how I'm going to pitch my product or whatever it is, is to think what emotional state do I want my prospect to be in so that my communication is filtered through that emotional state. So my first thing I teach my entrepreneurs, my people in my coaching program, my VIPs, because that's who I love to work with, is stop thinking about your product, your service, your pitch, and think, how do I get my prospects into what states of mind? That's so I can sell that decision and, and link good feelings to it, because that is a radically different way of looking at sales. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about subconscious communication. Can you please explain for, uh, I know a lot about subconscious mind, but can you explain for someone that doesn't really know what, what it yes. means? Yeah. So I got this from the founder of Modern Hypnotherapy, Dr. Milton Erickson. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Erickson before, but he took hypnosis out of the dark ages of look at my watch and you are in my power. And he made it much more conversational. And so Milton said, Dr. Erickson said, when someone comes into his office, he expects that their conscious mind and their unconscious mind are going to be listening. And we're always picking up on unconscious cues. For example, you're listening to me, you're hearing my words, but you're also hearing the confidence in my voice, my charisma. You're picking up on the passion that's being communicated through my voice tone, my inflection. So subconscious communication is any message that bypasses our conscious filter of what we normally think and slides into the deeper levels of the brain where we really make our decisions. You've fallen in love before, correct? I'm assuming. Yes. <laughs> you may consciously think that you decided the reasons why you love that person, but the actual feelings of love were not based on logic. They bubbled up based on unconscious signals and cues. And maybe that person said a word that triggered, without knowing it, triggered lots of positive memories. 
or spoken your love language without knowing it. There five, I'm not going to get into the different languages of love. I'm sure you've read that book and yeah. heard of it. So my real understanding is that any communication that revolves around the most important events of our lives is subconscious or unconscious. I use the terms interchangeably as a hypnotist. It's subconscious or unconscious in nature anyway, from the smallest little thing, like reaching for the refrigerator. Do you ever just find yourself with your head in the refrigerator, ice, whatever you call it, and you don't even remember walking over there and you didn't even have anything specific in mind? Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> Honestly, ever... all I, when I was young, like a child, we lived in this, in, in Holland, we have these like gentlemen's houses. These are houses with very long hallways and like high plafonniers and everything. So we had a living room on one end and a kitchen on the other end. And when I had to go to the long hallway, I always arrived in the kitchen not knowing what I was searching there. So I completely, completely resonate. Yeah. And so you probably have also had the experience of finding yourself falling out of love and wondering what the hell was I thinking? Why didn't I listen to all my friends who were pointing out the red flags? So that, those emotional states can not only amplify what's going on, they can blind us to things that are going on so that we literally experience a hypnotic phenomena called negative hallucination. I am a hypnotist. I do some therapeutic hypnotic work. So let me unpack that term. So negative hallucination does not mean you're seeing scary or frightening things. Negative hallucination means you literally don't see things that are actually there. So if I dropped you into a deep trance and said, Sonia, in a moment, I'm going to tell you to open your eyes. And the only thing you're going to be able to see is my hand and everything else will disappear, vanish, be gone. If you're a good subject or I know how to communicate that to you, when I awaken you from the trance, quote unquote, you will literally only see my hand. You will negatively hallucinate away everything else. So we do that all the time with people we love. When we're in a certain mood, we hallucinate away all the their difficult qualities. I don't want to say bad qualities. Mm -hmm. When we're in a horrible mood, we hallucinate away all the good things about them and just see the things that are pissing us off. If I can use an American mm -hmm. term, I don't know if, if that. Yeah, when a, you're familiar. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I'm trying to be respectful without well, a lot of listeners are actually from the U.S. So just okay. <laughs> so you get my point. Yeah. So it's the same thing with your with your prospects. I like to use a metaphor. Think of a physics experiment. This is very simple. I have a sheet of gold foil. Let me see where my hands show up. I have a sheet of gold foil in one hand and a sheet of cardboard in the other. And I want to conduct a current of electricity. Which one of those mediums is going to, it's not a trick question, is going to conduct the electricity, the gold foil or the cardboard? The gold foil. Exactly. So think of your prospect's emotional state of mind as being like the cardboard or the gold foil. Do you want them in the cardboard states of doubting you, doubting themselves and their own ability to make a good decision, boredom, distraction? You know, one of the number one enemies of making a sale, and I know this is an audio podcast, but I'm holding up my iPhone. One of your biggest enemies of making any kind of sale is nowadays your prospects have the attention span of a goldfish. Yeah. Even I find myself checking my phone 
two, 300 times a day. I'm now on TikTok. I get Facebook instant messenger, text, you name it. Your prospect, even if they're interested in what you have to say, even if they trust you, just don't have the focus they used to. So you have to create these states of hyper-focus and get them to sort of not hallucinate, but to ignore everything else but your message. To really grab their attention, right? Yes, and to focus that attention. It's one thing to grab it. TikTok will grab my attention for 30 seconds, but it won't hold it. Exactly. So how do you feel that you can grab attention in marketing and actually hold it? Well, it depends. In print, I'm a copywriter, so that's different. But speaking in a communication or a video or something that people can hear you, it's much different. And I would use some words that are going to sound like nonsense to you. But I would say something like, before we begin this exploration of our marketing opportunity, I'm not sure all the places you might pause and find yourself really focusing in on what it is that's exciting you most. But as that's taking place, I want to invite you to please share the questions that naturally arise when a great decision is being made. Now, that's a big, huge bowl of words, but you understand the effect of what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm giving the man to focus in. When I said that to you, did you get a sense that you were focusing in on my words? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it's a form of embedding hypnotic suggestions inside of what sounds like a normal piece of conversation. That's an art form and a skill that I teach. It takes time to master, which is why I'll work with people for like six, nine, six months, nine months, a year to get full mastery. I can get them up to speed in 90 days, but to achieve the kind of mastery where they're seeing big huge leaps in their revenue, it takes time. It's a different language. It's like learning a different language. I could go to the Netherlands and not expect to be able to speak Dutch unless I lived there for a year. Or, do you understand? Yeah, absolutely. For mastery, you definitely need repetition. So, But tell us, tell us a great story, a transformational story that comes to mind. You must have many, but the one that comes to mind. Working comes... with clients or with myself? Yeah, with clients, yeah. So I had a client who, I don't know how it works again in the Netherlands, but in the United States, if you want to buy a home, you have to get something, you have to get a loan, of course. Very few people can buy a home for cash. So the people who help people get that loan are called loan officers or mortgage officers. Client I work with, his name is Fabian. His first paycheck when he was working for a big company doing this was 3,500 US dollars. Mm. He, to feed his family of two children and his wife and himself, on the side, he had to drive Uber. I'm sure you have Uber over there. Yeah. After working with me for nine months, his last check was $31,000 USD. So that was a huge transformation. That's almost uh, 10 times, 10 times who he's making is more like nine. Pretty and what damn do you think that the, piv the, the, the big pivot, the breakthrough was for him? Was it his words? The big pivot, honestly, was his willingness to take on a radically different way of thinking about selling and being able and willing to stumble a little bit, to try a little bit of this bit by bit into his normal sales process. He was willing, that willingness to step into the unknown without needing, I held his hand and trained him a couple of calls a month. That's true, but nothing will work unless people have the courage to step out 
into the unknown a little bit, be a little bit uncomfortable. And also he understood the return on investment of working with me. He didn't see it as a cost. Instead of saying, can I afford it? He said, am I worth it? Is my vision of my future with my family worth it? I think those people who succeed don't ask what is a cost. They say, am I worth it? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So how do you feel that you can sell through this specific way with influence and make it more of a spiritual practice? Yeah. So here's my understanding of what sales really is about. It's sort of a paradox, a contradiction. On the one hand, yes, you're using suggestions to get your ideas in the prospect's mind. I get it. But on another level, seemingly in a contradiction, you're expanding their mind to include new possibilities. Don't assume that your prospect is coming to you and thinking deep in their unconscious that they deserve the opportunity that you have to offer. Even if they believe it's possible for others and they believe it's possible for them, deep down we all have messages about how we're not worthy, how we don't deserve it, we're imposters. When you can expand your prospect's mind so they drop that, so they no longer believe that about themselves, you're doing healing work. You're actually healing them by opening their mind and expanding their beliefs about what they, I think I got a little blurry, about what they deserve and what they can enjoy in their life. And that is a healing process. So in that way, it is a spiritual process, but it's also a process, spiritual process on the other end, because we know in sales that we're going to lose a sale. People are going to say, yes, I'll sign a contract and they don't, or they reject us. They're not really rejecting us. They're rejecting their own opportunity to make a better decision. But in any case, we could get angry, we could get frustrated with them, or we could bless them. We could say, thank you. Thank you for coming along as my teacher and my guide and my mentor to learn greater patience. Thank you for showing up. I bless you on your journey and I release you with love. May you prosper and grow. So when we can take our frustration and turn it into blessing the person who's been frustrating us, we grow spiritually as well. So both in terms of doing the sale and when we don't make the sale and someone changes their mind or, or doesn't show up for the consult or whatever, we bless them, we grow spiritually. So that in that sense, I believe selling can be a spiritual process. And you're actually heroic when you help people. I really mean it. When you help people expand their sense of what's possible for them and what they deserve, that is a healing journey. And to that extent, it's healing and it's spiritual and it's even heroic. Now, when you begin to make that transition and you're thinking that you're doing something heroic for your prospect, how is it possible to hold on to fear of rejection or fear of failure when you really take on that mindset? Is it possible? No, I think it's a beautiful perspective. And that eliminates one of the number one things that gets in the way of being successful as an entrepreneur or a, or a salesperson or a business person if you're eliminating that fear of rejection and even that fear of failure, because you're either going to go where you want to go or you have an opportunity to grow spiritually or both. Yeah, I really love that view. And I do think that it's very important to see it as an experience and not take it personal, right? Because I know when I had in the beginning, when I started my business and I got like this no or rejection, I thought, hmm, maybe it's not good enough what I have or something like that. And I think a lot of people just like make it unnecessary for themselves to 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 actually 
invite people to sell or, or to sell to or to work together, but also understanding that there there are cross paths. So some people are just not at that point of being ready, and some people are ready at a later moment. So I loved I loved this perspective. I think it gives a whole other feel, especially when you feel like sales is sticky or it's sleazy or whatever. I think this is a beautiful view. So thank you for that. Another question. So you you actually wrote a book. It's about sub, subtle words that sell. There it is. There it is. Great. So can you give us like these nudges that people can use right off the bat after the podcast that they can use into their sales, marketing, copy, maybe even speaking on stage? Well, one thing, so I want to just interject here, interject here, is the essence of the book is the subtitle, how to get your prospects to convince themselves to buy and add top dollars to your bottom line, because I think that is the real magic, getting them to convince themselves to buy. So there's a couple of things that I can teach from this, from this course. And one of them is what I call trance phrases. These are phrases that induce an unconscious search for meaning and eliminate resistance. So those phrases are find yourself, discover yourself, so Sonia, if I were to say to you, as we continue to share this discussion together, I'm not sure at which point you might find yourself growing more and more fascinated about what it is you're hearing. But as that's taking place, I just want to say, I'm so happy to be leading you on this adventure today. Now, I'm sure you felt the sense of being drawn <laughs> into my words. Did you not? Yeah, Absolutely. And those words, I put in those words, find yourself. Because find yourself implies, again, an activity that's going to take unconscious, take place unconsciously with no resistance and with no need to participate. It's just going to happen in and of itself on its own. That's powerful. So that's one thing I would do. The other thing I would do is I like to use what we call presuppositions in neurolinguistic programming. Very simple. So if I say, as we continue our discussion today, and I'm sharing this with all of your listeners and viewers, I'm not sure all the ways they might find themselves growing more and more interested in communicating with me further. Let's back up. I said, I'm not sure all the ways they might find themselves growing interested. When I say all the ways, what does that imply? That your subconscious mind is going to search for ways, <laughs> for possibilities. It's going to imply that there's at least one way. Yeah. I didn't say, as you listen to me and you find at, at least one way to get interested, I didn't say that. Mm -hmm. If I said it that way, people go, eh, go take a walk or eat your hoffish schlock there. What do you call those sprinkles? What do you call them? yes. Yeah, your hockey schlock. Eat your hockey schlock and go away from me. That's all I know about Dutch culture. That's oh, it. That's, that's great. That's great. That's all <laughs> I know. But when I say I'm not sure all the ways, that implies there's going to be many or at least more than one. So the unconscious mind will go down and go, hmm, I wonder, without your consciously being aware of this thought process, huh, I wonder what ways that's going to happen. I'm going to be on the lookout and make sure I pick up on them. You mm -hmm. see? So I'm preceding, I'm, I'm waking up the unconscious and getting it on the alert to listen up and find places to agree with me and to be fascinated with me. 
I'm implying it and suggesting it. Whatever you can get your prospect to imagine for themselves will be perceived by them as being their own idea, and therefore they won't resist it. And the number one way to get them to imagine is to be vague. I didn't say what you'd be fascinated about or, or focused in about. To be vague, to use suggestion, and to use presuppositions. Use those three tools. I know I'm loading up a lot here and really overwhelming people, but that's okay. As you find yourself listening or watching multiple times, I'm not sure all the ways you'll find more and more things of value as you're doing that. And it may allow you to pause and think, wow, I want more Paul. How do I get in touch with them? So mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually have something to help people out right away, right? This audience. Yes. Can, yes. can you share a little bit more? Yeah. So I have what I call my Invisible Influence Series. It includes some breakthrough ideas about mindset that no one else is teaching. So you can get rid of imposter syndrome and your beliefs that you can't do things and get over fear of failure immediately. Then it has a section on destroying objections in ways that your prospects have never heard before. So they won't see it coming. I would like to talk about a few of those before we sign off on the podcast. It oh, has oh a mod- we just, uh, just threw it in there. <laughs> okay. We yeah. have a module. We have a really great module on um, creating this language. So within a minute, people see you as their trusted leader. You're going raw, beyond rapport. It's, it's loaded with stuff. So if you want to get that, it depends on where you live. If you're outside the United States, use WhatsApp. Use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL, C-O-M-P-E-L, to 909-741-1321. I believe that's correct. 909-741-1321. If you're in the United States, text the word COMPEL, C-O-M-P-E-L, to 411 Three, two, one. I believe that's correct. I can't read my own. Is that correct? Am I reading it correctly? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it okay. is. But it will be in the make show sure, notes. Make sure, make sure you put in your best email because that's how we'll deliver the goodies to you. Every every little report that comes as a PDF report is maybe a five minute read. It'll take you five minutes to read it, and each one gives you a tip that you can go out and use immediately and see instant results. And the reason I designed it that way, Sonia, so people can see instant results is what I'm teaching is so wacky and so out there. Unless they see, yes, wow, I've used it at work, they're not going to find themselves coming back to me and, and thinking, yeah, I want to apply for to speak with Paul right away. So let's talk about persuasion, right? Let's say that you are on stage and you just, or on stage or just having, for example, a first call with someone, it doesn't even matter. You just have an audience that you want to capture in the beginning. What, yeah. what, what are some useful tips that you can get? Give? The first thing you need to do is decide what state of mind. How do you get in the state of mind? What's the right state of mind for you to be in? Because if you're... If you're demanding that people listening to you or you're despairing that they're not going to listen to you, it's the wrong state. It's the wrong state of mind. So I think in order to be a really good and effective speaker, you have to take on three beliefs. Number one, you have to believe that what you're saying is of great value. Number two, you have to believe that your audience needs to hear it, has to hear it. And number three, you have to believe at least in that minute or in those moments, you're the only one who can get that message across. 
Mm. You carry those beliefs that everything else is a technical skill that you can learn over time. If you don't carry those beliefs, you're just, it's like eating the menu instead of the meal. It just doesn't work. So you take that on. The next thing you need to do to get in the right state of mind is to ground into your body. This is where I, in my biography, I, you read that I'm a mindfulness meditator. And when we teach mindfulness, one of the things we do is to teach people to really get in touch with their body, how they're breathing, where they feel sensation in their body. Can they feel their butt against the cushion or their feet on the ground if they're sitting in the chair? So being embodied, not just confidence as a concept, but embodied confidence, feeling relaxed in your body. Or if you're, and the other thing, I work with someone at terrible stage fright, hear it like that. Didn't even have to hypnotize him. I said, it's not that you're afraid to be on stage. It's that you're ashamed of your fear. The moment you- Ashamed of your fear. Yes. I said, the moment you admit your fear to the audience, you will not only find it going away, but your audience will identify with you as being vulnerable and human. So that's what I had him do. And at first he felt like he was going to throw up, but surprisingly, the audience applauded Mm. and he lost his fear. And then he could relax into being someone who is just having a conversation. And so that's the most, (laughs) that's the most important thing. Now, second, you have to know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, if you don't know your subject, then why are you there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what about leadership? Do you have tips when it comes to communication in leadership? I think, I think leadership is first and foremost. Yes, it's about enrolling other people in your vision, but mm-hmm. you also have to be, you also have to develop the skill set that people don't even know about, which is you have to be emotionally regulated. Mm-hmm. If you're in a state, no one talks about being emotionally regulated. And by that, I mean, you're in a state where you're able to receive other people's communications. You can, it's contradiction, a paradox. You can have your agenda in mind, but you're also genuinely open to feedback from your team. How do we create a state of consciousness where, yes, you have a strong vision that's not dependent on the events of the day or a particular transaction, and yet at the same time is open to feedback from your environment and the people who you want to inspire? Because power to really be effective has to flow in both directions. Otherwise, you're a dictator. Or on the other side of the fence is you're either a dictator or you're a wimp. You're letting other people take over the leadership role. So how do you achieve that that state of being open to feedback and yet being able to enroll people in your vision? And the only way you can do that, everyone talks about writing down their goals and visualizing their goals and finding what's their purpose. You have to do that. I agree with that. And if you're not also exercising the skills of emotional regulation. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's just an yeah. idea. It's like reading a fortune cookie. You will be successful in everything you do. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. That is the missing, that's the missing piece, teaching people to emotionally regulate. And here's where my skill of teaching guys to meet women comes in. Because those guys, when they come to me or when they came to me, are very emotionally unregulated. They never even learned those skills. And it's not something that's talked about in the world of self-improvement, self-actualization, because it's not sexy. Being powerful, being charismatic, being Tony Robbins, being super confident, 
that's yeah. taught, but no one talks about emotional regulation and good decision making. Yeah. When have you ever attended a self improvement or get rich or any of it and heard anyone talk about making good decisions? Yeah. But it's vital. It's, it's vital. Yes. And no one talks about it because it's not sexy and it's not telling people what they want to hear, which is you can do it. Just believe in yourself. Well, so do you have a decision making process that you, that you would like to share? I do. I wasn't, I wasn't planning on it, but sure. I'd love to give that value share. First and foremost, I like to write down what's my goal. How does my goal fit my overall purpose in life? So that's the first thing I write those first two things. The next thing I write is what work, what assumptions am I making? I write out all the assumptions. Then I say for each assumption, what proof do I have that these assumptions are true? Then I write out what work is making this assumption allowing me to avoid doing. So if I assume that everyone wants what I'm marketing, that allows me to avoid researching the market. So it allows me to avoid that work. Then I say, I better do that work. Then I say, how can I build in feedback so I can see very quickly if I'm off course? If there's no, uh, it's, there's no shame or problem with failing. I don't like the word failing, but there's no shame in it. But you better find out quickly that you're headed yeah. for the, that you're headed for the wall, that your ship's yeah. going to run aground. If you can find out quickly, you can steer in the other direction. So that's another, the other thing I think is how can I find the right team to help me execute this? Mm. Absolutely. There's a book. I don't remember what the book is. I think it's called Blue Ocean Strategies. I may be wrong, mm -hmm. where they say before you decide where the bus wants to go, think about who you want on that bus. Mm -hmm. And those are basically my, that's my in, very incomplete. I'm sure there are things that need to be added to it. But over the years, that's what I've used. Mm -hmm. And then I also ask, is this just for my ego? Is it just? Yeah, joint? that's so, so important. That's so I ask that question as well. Am I trying to prove something to myself that really has no value because it doesn't really relate to my mission or my ability to financially prosper from it? Absolutely. That's so powerful. Thank you so much. And, sure. uh, and again, yeah. Sonia, it's not sexy. It's not raw, <laughs> raw, raw. 40,000 people leap to their feet and walk on hot coals. It's not. It, it, so no one teaches it. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's very important. I do a lot of emotional intelligence when, and regulation when it comes to myself, but also with my clients, because when they're not in the state to take the next step, they're not going to walk the fire or they walk the fire one time to say so, but then they won't take further action or something will postpone or stop them or just I agree. back. And I think on a, it's important for your personal life too. I mean, I was going to say. Emotional bank account is, is like so important. Your energy and your emotions are everything in life. Doesn't I will make not, sense. Yeah. <laughs> I will not pick a partner who doesn't have some kind of practice for emotional regulation. Every day I meditate. As soon as we're done with this interview, I'm going to go up to the recreation room in my complex here and I'm going to meditate. I, I cannot, uh, I have practices, multiple practices I do every day to stay centered, as centered as I can. Look, my family's a bit nuts. I'm a bit nuts. You <laughs> can't come up with this crazy stuff without being a little off center. But I do my very best to be as close to being stained as I can and still hold on to the nutty, I'm going to use the G word, genius. 
Yeah, but that there must be some fun too, right? My family's all not all completely yeah. normal. Neither am I. So, <laughs> but I actually think it, it makes us makes us authentic, and that's so good. So you talked about books. What are what what is the best advice you ever took from a book or a mentor? Wow, it's a bit of advice that I give, it, it, but it's a mentor. I don't remember who who said this to me. But, or I may have come up with it myself, I honestly don't remember, is for every gift or talent or skill, there's a corresponding cost. For example, I'm wildly creative, but my office is an absolute disorganized mess. I have to hire someone to come in every week to reorganize me. They created an organizing system, but guess what? The problem, the problem with that organizing system is I don't follow it. I mess it up every week. <laughs> I've created so much over the years. I need someone to manage my content. I'm constantly calling my operations manager and saying, when did we do that course? Where are the videos for that course? And it could be from 15 years ago. He remembers exactly where it is. And within five minutes, he gets me the link or the download. Wow. So if, if you're very organized and very structured and very logical, you may have a problem with being creative and being a visionary. Yeah. So you get the right. So if that's the case, meditation is wonderful, right? Any in any case, I, I love meditation. It's just like indispensable, yeah. indispensable. I I met my teacher in 2006, who in my mind is the greatest teacher of my life and the most intelligent human being I've ever met in all my 64 years of journeying around the sun. So yeah, mm, I love that. And what is the last question? <laughs> what is the question that nobody ever asks you, but you would love to answer. You know, I've been doing this since 1988 and everyone says, how did you get started? Or how do you come up with what you come up with? But mm -hmm. no one has ever said, you're still doing this after 33 years and you're as excited and as passionate as you were when you started. How have you maintained that? No one ever asked me that. No one. Nobody asked me that. So what would your answer be? How did you maintain it? I am restlessly and relentlessly creative. And I'm always curious about how things work. I'm curious like a child and wildly creative. And I always want to think of, of a new way to generate new solutions. And my mother also said to me, my mother gave me very dangerous permissions. My mother said, you're incredibly smart. You can, you're here. I didn't have you for myself. I had you for the world and the change. Wow. That was a permission. Now <laughs> we were not. Big, within, that's a big responsibility. That it's a beautiful, as wonderful. A, as, a, as a kid. <laughs> well, she, it's a, that's true, but it's a beautiful permission to give a kid. Yeah. We were told that we were, we were, no, we were, had other restrictions. We were not allowed to feel our emotions or do anything dangerous. Everyone has restrictions. But when it comes to intellect and that kind of thing, not only were we not restricted, we were encouraged to explore an idea as far as we wanted to go. I would create trouble at the dinner table. I come from a big family. I Well, now I have four siblings. One of them passed away. But at the time when I was a kid, we had six kids at the table. And they were all older than me, except my little brother who's younger. So I had to compete for attention. I would do it by being challenging. I would say, we're Jewish, our family. I don't, I'm not a believer, but I was raised Jewish. And I would say to my mom, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And my mother would say, okay, what do Christians believe? 
And I said, I don't know. This is when I was eight years old. She'd say, okay, I want a book report tomorrow before <laughs> sunset on Christianity. If it's a good book report, I'll give you a silver coin. If it's not a good book report, you can't play for for two days. You can't go outside. Oh my gosh, your mother sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was an amazing lady. And yeah. so I could I could say, I'm a communist. And my mother would say, what do communists believe? I'd say, I don't know. Same process. Mm. So we were allowed to think anything we wanted to think, to take any idea to its furthest extreme. Mm, and that's, that's a amazing. really great and dangerous permission to give a kid. Yeah, but it's also very inspiring. I'm actually a bit inspired by this because I have two little kids myself and I always want them, of course, to have the most successful life in every sense of life, you know? So I love hearing inspirations and just I, I put you on this world for the world. It's just like, it's, it's, it's such a token of belief and greatness and yeah, paying you know it forward. Yes, yeah, so I was going to leave you with, with one more. One day I was sassing my mother. I was being obnoxious and talking back to her. And she said, Paul, if you don't knock it off, if you don't stop, you're going to grow up to be an iconoclast. I said, what's that? She said, that's someone who goes around kicking over other people's sacred ideas and making them very upset and angry. I remember saying, I want to be that, mommy. I want to be iconoclast. How do I grow up to be an iconoclast? Now, she was, she was trying to discourage me in that sense, but wound up encouraging me. And I think of myself as that. I knock over other people's ideas about what selling is really about. I get a kick. Quite frankly, I get a kick out of upsetting some people who mm -hmm. don't like the fact that I'm taking their traditional ideas and steamrolling over them. Yeah, but every you know everybody has his fits, and it sounds amazing. And I hope you guys really check it out his book and everything that he's giving away. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Leave us share because we don't do any sponsorship. We just want you to share with someone who will benefit. Thank you so much, Paul, for this episode. My pleasure. I'm gonna go have my heart slotted by the way. And I will see you next week to level up again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more training on how to leverage your time and to create peak energy to up-level your high performance in business and in life, I invite you to join us in the Facebook community, The Victorious Coach Collective. You can find the link in the show notes. And last but not least, have a very happy new year and create it to be the best year ever. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vault. Respect for showing up and creating your next stage of life and business. If you like this episode, I invite you to dive deeper and stay. The S stands for subscribe and share. Make a screenshot right now and pay it forward and send this to five friends who can benefit from this value. The T stands for try and transform. Try the technique, at least until the next episode. The A stands for action. Action creates success. Don't stay a student when you have a code. You should try to open the vault. And finally, the Y stands for you. This is about the most valuable asset of the vault and life in general. The one and only authentic you. So if this was your code, please comment and help the vault grow. Hashtag unlocked, hashtag next level, hashtag dive deeper. And see you next week to level up again.